The third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no more wine. Jesus said unto his mother, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purification of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus said unto them, Fill these water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they did it. When the ruler of the feast tasted the water that was made wine, and he didn't know where it came from, but the servants which drew the water out did, the governor of the feast called for the bridegroom and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. That's important. You have kept the good wine until when? Now. Now. So he's talking about the wine getting better rather than getting worse because once you're drunk, you don't care or know. Now, don't look at me like y'all ain't never got drunk. There's some folk in here, you from Alabama. There's some people that got drunk up in here in Alabama. I mean, there's some on the front row that has gotten drunk in Alabama. Now, I told people yesterday, and we had a lot of visitors in here yesterday from other churches. I am a voice-activated preacher. Amen. The, the, the quieter you are, the longer I go. Because I feel like I need to connect. And if I don't hear you talk back to me, I don't think I'm connecting to you. Because when I grew up in the sticks in Louisiana, my daddy would look at me and say, Do you understand what I'm telling you? And we'd just look at him and we'd say, Yes, sir. And he'd say, Well, what did I just say? He was a voice-activated dad. I'm a voice-activated preacher. So your silence will offend me. And you're supposed to have southern hospitality. And some of y'all, I know you're white to the bone, but, you know, you can act black a little bit. I want all the white people in the building to say, go ahead. Say, preach it. Say, say what? Say, preach, bishop. Come on, somebody say, you better say that. Talk, white boy. Okay, I feel better. I'm starting to feel better. It is is imperative that you understand that we live in a generation right now where we have drawn a line in this thing called the church. And it's a shame because... They're telling us, you either move over to what's happening and what's going on right now and keep up with what the craze is. The craze is keep up with what, the, what the, 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 the popularity is and what the cultural thing to do is. Or you can stay in this depth of what you call Pentecost with hollering and sweating and shouting and all that kind of stuff. So they've drawn a line in the sand and they have, they have begun to call what the Holy Ghost used to do in church services things of the past. 
listen to me carefully. Anytime you begin to label something ancient, you are dismissing its present value. Whenever you are convinced that something is ancient, well, that's the way it used to be. Well, that's not the way it is. Well, it shouldn't be that way anymore. When you totally dismiss that which was, you devalue it to the point where people start to doubt its existence and why it is relevant. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. In other words, watch this. We, you know, we say, well, you know, that preaching is, is that's old school. But you know what's funny? Electricity is 140 years old and everybody's still using it. I got two people helping me now. I mean, go study, go study when electricity came about 140 years ago and everybody's still using it. It ain't too old. Amen. Have a few tornadoes, hurricanes in Alabama and lose your electricity and see how that ancient thing that was done way back then starts to become real valuable right now. But see, we in the church, we take things and we have created this book to be an ancient treasure. We're saying this book is just an old book. I hear people all the time say, well, you know, when they said that in the Bible, they were saying it in the context of the generational time with which they lived in. I don't care what generation you live in. Ain't no man going to write, y'all ain't hearing me, turn the other cheek. Ain't nobody going to write, pray for your enemies. Let's see, let me see if I can get some more amens. I don't care if it was 6,000 years ago or if it was yesterday. A woman would never write, wives, obey your husbands. I got seven men standing up. That's awesome. What are you trying to say, Pastor Clint? What I'm trying to say is it's impossible to say that it's irrelevant and it's ancient whenever, if it was right now today, the women feel the same way in the men as they did right then. Love those who despitefully use you. Bless those who say things that are against you. Nobody would write that back then. They, didn't, they weren't that spiritual and you're not that spiritual now. But what we have done is we have turned the church services into a scheduled motivational seminaric meeting. And and what we've done is is we we have tried to figure out all week long how we can utilize video graphics and different props to be able to bring a motivational challenge to the people. And the problem is, is they're leaving with temporary challenges and no permanent change. And I'm here to tell you something. When people encountered Jesus, they did not leave just challenged. They left changed. And I refuse to be called someone that is stuck in an ancient way of doing things as if I'm ignorant to stuff. I'll debate any of them and have at any place 
Call the day, call the time, and I'll get there. The Holy Ghost is not going out of style. Prayer still works. Praise is still should be done by everybody. Worship should be a lifestyle. I had a friend of mine ask me the other day, he said, well, you know, how long is your services? I said, until. You say, well, what do you mean? Until, that's what the Bible said. I mean, God, God quit giving people time frames. He said in Psalms 110, he said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemy your footstool. You know what? I don't know how many of you are, grew up like I grew up, but when my daddy said, sit down right here, and we said, how long? And he said, until, that was it. Y'all just looking at me. I mean, I grew up where you could beat your kids. Hello? And I pastor a a predominantly uh, minority church where we are are predominantly black and Hispanic. And I I, I envy them because black people, I don't know what it is. Y'all can still beat your kids. We can't beat our kids. We beat our kids and, you know, we're getting a mug shot. Black folk do it and everybody like, go ahead, sister. Wear it out. Tell me I'm ancient. Hello, somebody? Well, that's the way God used to do it. Well, let's talk about it. Can we talk about it for the next 20 minutes? Well, let's do 10 minutes. Who will give me 10 minutes? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. I'm just... I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay, listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. You need to understand this. We believe that the future, if I was sitting where you are, is that way. If I was sitting where you are, we would say, well, which way is the past? Well, it's that way. Well, which way is the future? Well, it's that way. Here is the truth of the matter. You don't have a future. Well, thank you very much. I didn't come to church to hear that I don't have a future. Let me tell you why you don't have a future. Because you will never ever leave now say it say it make it real make it real you won't on, One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. i just counted 10 seconds out of our presence and it's still now you got a cell phone on you just uh, you got a cell phone on you you do well get it Go to your camera. I know it don't matter. Take a picture of me. Yeah, take a picture of us. You got it? Watch this. He just took that picture of me and him. Y'all see it? It's already then. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. He took a picture of us in the now, but by the time we looked at it, it was already then. So, Too many people are 
fixated on futuristic stuff. I'm not saying don't prepare. What I'm saying is, I don't care how much you prepare, you will still be in the now when you get there. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Jesus, watch this, here we go. Jesus walks into the city of Cana. When he walks into the city of Cana, it is extremely important for you to understand that this ancient book that we have now disregarded and we've gone now to more of a Tony Robbins setting in church. <laughs> I've got a friend of mine that went to a Tony Robbins conference and she called and told us, she said, yeah, I'm going to go to the highest level in Tony Robbins' organization. It's only $75,000. I'm like, What? Shoot, man, I, just give me 50. I'll motivate you all week. Right? We, 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 so, so in this ancient book, what is important for us is to extract out of the book what is in the past that will now be applicable to my now. It doesn't have to be applicable to my future as long as I understand my future will still be my now. So watch, Faith is always relevant because it's a now thing. And if I'm always in the now, then faith will always be required. Because now faith. Are y'all getting what I'm saying? And so Jesus walks into this setting, which is a wedding, in a place called Cana. He gets there, and, and no doubt he's got Bama tailgaters because they're already out of liquor. Yeah, they're out, they out of booze. Oh, that's at LSU. I'm sorry. So, so he walks up, and they're out, they're, out of, they're, out of, they're out of wine. And Jesus comes up, and watch me carefully. Jesus says, hey, how's it going? His mom says, hey, they're out of wine. He looks at his mother because Jesus is, he understands that, that, that power and authority only flows through order. Wow. Power and authority, and authority doesn't flow out of order. Watch this. There, there can be an issue going on out on the highway, but you can't go and just start stopping traffic if you want to. Even if it's a good thing to do, you can't do it unless you have the authority to do it. So Jesus walks up, and watch this. The one thing he will not do and doesn't want to do is move out of order because he knows if he gets out of order that he's not going to have the blessing or the favor on him because he says, I do nothing unless my Father which is in heaven tells me to do it. So Jesus looks at Mary and says, why are you trying to pull me out of order? Because prophetically, Isaiah said, he would be apostolically established, prophetically announced. He would, be, he would walk as a teacher, and then he would move move into the, into the gifts of healings. So he was going to be apostolically established in the Jordan River when John baptized him. Am I going too fast? I'm just talking for all you people that think that we don't have any, you know, any, any education on it. So he dips Jesus in the Jordan. He comes up. A voice from heaven comes down and prophetically announces him and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the next chapter says, and he walked into the desert to be tested by the devil. And then the next chapter says he stood after all of that in the synagogue, opened the book and read it 
to the people of the church. So he fulfilled the apostolic establishment in Jordan when, when, when he was baptized. He came out and fulfilled the prophetic uh, 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 positioning with God's voice saying, this is my son. And then he walked in the synagogue and went in and taught them. So he didn't do any miracles until after that happened in the synagogue. So he walks up to Cana. Y'all right? He walks up at the wedding in Cana and Mary says, I want you to understand we're out of wine. And Jesus, he says, you're trying to pull me into category four before I get through category one, two, and three and I ain't gonna do it. But what Jesus hasn't taken in account was Mary was not pulling him out of order because that's John chapter two. If you read John chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. In other words, Mary was saying, hold up, JC. I didn't try to pull you out of order. She said, I didn't ask you to do anything. I just asked you to say something. Wait, let me come over here to the right side. Maybe y'all hear what I'm saying. Mary turns to the servants after Jesus said, this is not my time. She said, whatever he says to do, do it. Because the chapter before, he was established as a word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So when he got to chapter 2, Mary was activating what happened in chapter 1. So watch this for all of you that like your 45-minute service where it's just this and that and it's not deep and it's funny and we have all this stuff and you didn't come for a real-life transformation. Let me just tell you something right now in this building. I'm here to tell you something. If you come for the entertainment, wrong place. If you've come for the, to, to see the, the lights and the sound and the, and the singers, wrong place. But if you pulled in for a word I want you to look at your neighbor say neighbor before I leave here you will know it's my turn alright you two come here you two come here come here come here come here come here Jack come here you three come here y'all you three yeah y'all come here come up here help me out a little bit Y'all look like some good old Alabama boys. Because you're a gator? Get off the stage. I'm kidding. Kentucky Wildcat. Oh, you've had one winning season in 34 years. Shut up. Nobody cares about basketball in Alabama. All right. All right. I'm going to tie you to the relevance of an ancient book. I am going to tie you to the relevance of how the scripture comes out and it affects us in our now. Right? Okay, watch this. Jesus walks into Cana. Jesus establishes something because everything in the Bible, when you read it, if you will open your spirit up, the Bible will talk to you in your now. Well, I have a hard time being inspired by something that was written 6,000 years ago. Well, you don't say that on Martin Luther King Day. 
Come on, black folk. You know y'all up in there. I have a dream. Come on now. I mean, if you can start quoting 1963 or 69, whatever it was, then, then you ought to be able to quote the Bible for inspiration. See, you need to understand something. You need to understand that there is nothing more powerful than faith. Nothing. And faith is simply this, what you believe. That's it. Do you know that God does not have a need? And he only has one desire. He only has one desire, no needs. Because he's all God. You know what his desire is? To be believed. You know what his greatest disappointment is? To be doubted. If all you ever do is believe, you have pleased him. If you never do anything else, you have pleased him. Because everything else he tells you to do is a direct benefit for you, not him. Bring all your tithe into the storehouse so there might be meat in my, in my house and see if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing you don't have room to contain. So when I tithe, it ain't giving God something. It's blessing me. If any two of you touching the same thing will agree, it shall be done. So when I pray and I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm the one benefiting from my prayer, my confession and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run, not be weary, and walk, and not faint. That's all benefit me. The only thing that benefits God is your faith. The theologian John Caldwell. Are y'all right? I still got 10 minutes of about 17 of y'all's tens. Listen, John Caldwell, the theologian, said these words. God existed all times. Lest God exist in all times, that which exists will cease to exist. Don't you love that? You would if you knew what it meant. <laughs> because half of y'all are looking at me like, break it down. John Caldwell said, God exists at all times. Lest he cease to exist at any time, that which exists in that time cease to exist. In other words, if God leaves a time, whatever was in that time ceases to exist because of his exit. Let's see, y'all don't get it. In Genesis it says, and God said, on the first day, let there be light. And light was. He stepped in the second day. And he said, let the firmament from above be separated from the firmament from beneath. But he was still in the first day saying, let there be light. While he was 
stepping out of the second day, he stepped into the third day and said, let there be grass and trees and herbs while he was still in the second day, saying, let the firmament from above be separated from the firmament from beneath while he was still in the first day, saying, let there be light. He stepped in the fourth day and said, the sun is the greater and the moon is the lesser while he was still in the third day, saying, let there be grass and trees and herbs while he was still in the second day separating the firmament from above from the firmament from beneath while he was still in the first day saying let there be light he stepped in the fifth day and the Bible says he called the fish to be and the cattle of the field while he was still in the fourth day saying the sun is the greater and the moon is the lesser while he was still in the third day creating the grass and the trees while he was still in the second day separating the firmaments while he was still in the first day saying let there be light he stepped in the sixth day and created you But to step into the sixth day, he never left the first day. Now this is for all you that don't go to any churches of revelation because you're sitting there going, what? Now that's not three steps to how to have favor. No, that's called revelation. You want me to tell you why it's revelatory? You want me to tell you why it's important? Because watch this. If God didn't leave the first day, because if he'd have left the first day, light would have ceased. He had to still be standing in the first day saying, let there be light. Let me tell you why that's so important for you. The reason it's important for you is, Jack, if you go to the doctor tomorrow and the doctor says you have cancer, you didn't get that cancer on Monday morning. Somebody in your family, a great-grandfather, a grandfather, maybe a father, passed that cell into your genealogy down through your DNA and got in your body and it started to flare in your body. But this is how awesome the God is you serve, Jack. If you have faith... You can stand there on Monday and say, God, I want you to go all the way back before I was born and curse that cancer. Good God Almighty, is there anybody in here that hears what I'm saying? You serve a God that can cancel your family genealogy. If your daddy was a drunk, you don't have to be a drunk. I don't care who you are. That's some good stuff right there. But you're not going to get that on hop, skitch, skip day at the seeker-friendly church. I had a friend of mine the other day. I said, what you preaching on this week? He said, the three little pigs. Three little pigs. Give me a break. Faith! can go beyond where your problem is right now. God existed prior to you getting it. So he can cancel it the day before it got in your blood. Because he's still standing there. Y'all all right, bro? All right, I'm going to shut up. Yeah, yeah, I'm hungry and I got to catch a flight. Shut up. Watch this. So it's, it's relevant to us. 
Because everything in the Bible means something in the now. Because when the Bible was written, it was written in a now moment. And now moments never change. Because now follows us everywhere we go. Because everywhere we go, it's still now. Right? So how can this book ever run out of style when this, when this book is not called the instructions of God, it's called the Word. It's a word, it's a now word. Let me tell you how bad this book is. This book is so bad, it said it's a lamp unto my feet. That means, watch, he says a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Watch, you only put a lamp, you only need a lamp for where you are. You need a light for where you're going. When you get at your house, you turn a lamp on to read. But when you get in your car, you turn your lights on to be able to get where you're going. It's relevant. So what does, what does the things in the Bible mean for us? So Jesus, in his first act of who he is, walks into a place called Cana. And Mary says... Whatever he says to do, do it. In between that thin instruction is either faith or doubt. You either believe it or you don't. If you don't believe it, you won't do it. And, and watch, if you don't do it, you'll never know if it could have got done. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not saying, I'm not saying if you believe it, it's always going to happen. But I will tell you this, if you don't do it, it'll never happen. I do know the odds. One odd is, it could happen. I don't know if it's going to happen. I'm not God. But I do know this, if I don't do anything God tells me to do, I'm guaranteed none of it will happen. So I'll roll the dice on faith. I'd rather walk around believing than walking around without what I need, doubting. I'd rather wake up tomorrow morning and say, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. This is what's getting ready to happen to this church. You ready? I'm going to give it to you and then I'm going to let you go home and come back tonight because I don't want to hurt the crowd tonight. Ladies, you miss it, I promise you, you're going to miss a blessing. He walks up and he says, watch what he says. He says, he tells them to do the unthinkable. He says, fill these water pots, I mean these pots with water. It's an insult to serve to those in authority and power and prestige. Water. Water was the lowest level of liquid you could serve. It's, it was a sign of poverty. He was asking them to pour something that was devalued into a pot so that he could get involved and change the value of the contents. <laughs> and so, watch this. The first thing that's getting ready to happen to this church before your October conference is going to be a transformation. 
This, I'm glad 13 of y'all are excited. A transformation is when something was one thing and it doesn't matter how long it was that, but while it was one thing, it existed there, but now that it's being transformed, it's being turned into something completely different than what it was with still the content of what it was inside of it. So when God saved me, he did not deliver me from my personality. He did not deliver me from my sense of humor. I didn't have to all of a sudden become, well, praise the Lord, bless God, hallelujah. No, I could still be me. He just transformed me. Somebody shout transformation. Transformation is two words into one. Trans and formation. Trans means to move. Formation means to get into position. God is taking solid rock and saying, I'm about to move you into a position of power and authority. It's your turn. Shout transformation. You know what the second thing God's going to do for this church in the next few months? He's going to bring restoration. Somebody get excited. That means that which was lost is going to be restored. That which you wanted to keep and you lost it, you're going to get it back. I don't know who's getting excited about it, but that which you thought you'd never see again, God said it's back already on its way back to you. I got, I got on the plane. Y'all sit down. I got to hurry up. Man. I, I got to go to Popeye's. Hurry up. Let me guy. Watch this. Watch this. I was on the plane the other day. I was going to, to, uh, to I think it was Dallas or Detroit. One of the, I don't remember. But I got on the plane, and when I sat down, there was an elderly black lady sitting on the side of me, trembling as if it was 50, 50 degrees, and, and she had a T-shirt, she, that tremble. She, it looked like she was in a, in a freezing cold. And I looked at her, and I, I just sat down, and I put my hand on her hand. I said, how you doing, Mama? She said, oh, she said, I'm so nervous. I said, what you nervous about? She said, well, it's the first time I ever flew in my life. I said, what? She said, yeah. I said, how old are you? She said, I'm 83. I said, this is the first time you've ever flown in your life? She said, ever, ever. She said, I'm going to my sister's funeral. And she said, when the, she said, when the people in the front desk found out that I'd never flown before, they upgraded me to this first class seat. And I was sitting around the side of her and I grabbed her hand. I said, well, you know what? She said, what? I said, God put me on this flight for you. She looked at me with those big eyes and she said, Really? She said, she said you, you, a, you a preacher? I said, that's right, I'm a preacher. I said, God put me on this plane just for you. I, I said, let me just tell you something before we take off. You ready? She said, yeah, go ahead. I said, this plane cannot crash. She looked at me and she said, well, how in the world do you know this plane can't crash? They crash all the time. I see it on the news. I said, I wasn't on them. She said, what? I said, if I would have been on them, I wouldn't be here. So I said, every plane I get on can't crash. 
She said, well, why do you think that is? I said, because God gave me a word for Detroit and he ain't going to let me die before I deliver it. And boy, she held my hand on that takeoff. She laughed. She talked. She said all kind of stuff. And we got to 36,000 feet. And she didn't even realize we had taken off. And man, she was all excited. And she looked over. She said, well, Reverend. I said, yeah. She goes, enough about me. She said, what about you? And I looked at her. And I don't know what it was. But it came out of me like a waterfall. I told her everything that had happened to me in the last 10 or 15 years that was negative. Every person that backstabbed me, every person that talked about me, I told her about the news articles and the TV stuff and all the stuff I'd been through. And man, she was sitting up there on that plane looking at me and she just tapped me on the end. She said, well, it's going to be all right. She said, it's going to be all right. She said, just remember this, Reverend. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And I looked back at her and I said, Mama, you are right. I said, I can't wait for God to just track down every one of those trifling heifers and all those trifling men and pay them back for what they did to me. And she reached over and patted my hand. She said, hmm. She said, you thought God put you on this plane for me. I think he put me on this plane for you. I looked back at her. I said, what you talking about? She said, well, obviously through all of your years of training and theological study, you don't know what vengeance is. I said, well, help me out. She said, vengeance is not when God finds your enemy and pays them back for what they did to you. Vengeance is when God finds you and pays you back for what they did to you. Do I have anybody in here today that's ready for your restoration? Come on, look at somebody standing up and say, it's your turn. Shout glory. Come on, let's make all the charismaniacs nervous. Let's make all the little people that come to church and it's quiet nervous. Let's make everybody that feels so like, like we've lost out. We're nothing but a bunch of emotion. No, no, no. The Bible said clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Shout transformation. Restoration. Sit down. I still have five minutes. Because I didn't come all the way to Alabama to entertain nobody. I ain't looking for a place to preach. I got 2,000 people I left to come over here. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I turned down 27 other churches this month. Because I knew I was coming here. One has 9,000 members. So if I'm looking for a platform to launch and relaunch, I don't think I'd have picked Alabama. But then I understand that God uses little things to make big impacts. Like five loaves and two fish that fed 5,000. Are you here? Yes, sir. 
just, it just gets my lunch when people want to act like what we do is just a big emotional outburst. I got invited to Daytona. Can I take three extra minutes? I got invited to Dayton, Ohio, to the largest Presbyterian church in Ohio. Not Pentecostal. Presbyterian. Now, y'all, some of y'all are nervous, and you knew what you were getting when you came here. Can you imagine if you were Presbyterian and I showed up? And now he pastors a Presbyterian church in Huntsville, Alabama. The pastor. And he texted me this week. said, man, I wish I could be over there in Birmingham, but you know, I'm over here in Huntsville and I just took this church. I said, man, you left that church in Dayton, Ohio. He had two or 3,000 people. Before I went in there, I looked at him, I said, I said, hey, hey man, why did you invite me here? I said, you know, I'm going to offend, offend everybody in the building. Just with my, you know, just, just the way I am, you know. I mean, I don't want to come here and mess you up and get, you a bu- get a bunch of trouble going on for you, but you can't put reins on this stallion. I'm kidding. I didn't say that. <laughs> that was the Nick Saban in me. Uh, I was lying. I will not be going to Alabama. I'm staying at Miami. That was just, I was pretty little next thing. But anyway, anyway, listen to this. Listen, I, yeah, yeah. Listen to this. So uh, he says to me, I want you to know something. He says, I've been following your ministry for years. And he said, you have changed my life. He said, I had to have you come. He said, I don't want you to hold back one bit. He said, go out there, spit on them, preach, sweat on them, lay hands, do whatever you want to do. He said, but I'm going to tell you this before you go out there so you, you can embrace the moment. I said, okay. He said, they don't stand. He said, they don't clap. He said, they won't respond. He said, You might get a few nods. He said, but they're not going to like be like what you're used to, man. He goes, but I wanted you to release a spirit in, in, in my church. Are you here? And so I went and God directed me. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me out. And I got there and I was sitting on the front row. And I walked over with, I had, I had a Judah, I told my sister to go get me a Judah Bible off my table because I had Judah Bibles. And I said, bring me one of my Bibles. So I walked over to this lady that had hair of wisdom like yours. And she, I knew she had been in church, obviously, a long time. How long have you been in church? Saved. Yeah. So she was sitting there, and I said, what's your name? And she said, Kathy. Kathy. Okay, it wasn't Kathy, but, you know, we'll just play. We're, we're pretending. I said, Kathy, I said, I got a question for you. I said, I just want to get everything right before we get started so that I don't offend anybody. 
I don't want to offend anybody. I really don't. That's not my intent. But I'm not intimidated of anybody. So I took my Bible and I said, Kathy, hold this. I said, now, Kathy, I said, I have a King James Bible. I said, what kind of Bible do you have? She said, I've got a King James Bible. I said, well, what do you know? Me and you, Kathy, we had the same Bible. I said, now, Kathy, I said, do you believe everything in your Bible? And Kathy looked at me and she said, well, of course I do. It's the Word of God. I said, all right, Kathy, we got one thing in common already. I said, we have a King James Bible. Now we got two things in common. We believe it. I'm trying to get them with me, you know. So I said, now, Kathy, I said, do you live by this word? She said, I've lived it 45 years. I said, well, here we go. You deserve another high five. I said, now, Kathy, I want you to do something for me. I said, I want you to turn to Psalms 47. She turned to Psalms 47. I said, Kathy, I want you to tear that out. And it got quiet like it is right here. She looked at me, and it, you know, it was my Bible. She looked at me, and she said, I will not. I said, tear it out. She said, I will not desecrate the word. And I reached down and pulled the page out, and I crumbled it and threw it in the floor. I said, Kathy, by then she's looking at me, you know, like if she had a gun, you know what I'm saying? I said, Kathy... Turn with me to Psalms 34. She trembled and turned to Psalms. I said, tear it out. She said, I will not. I reached down. I tore out Psalms 34, balled it up and threw it in the floor. She said, I said, turn to Psalms. And when I did that, she handed me my Bible. She said, I ain't turning no more. So I turned to Psalms 150. And I tore it out and threw it on the floor. And I said, you want me to know, you want to know what I'm doing, Kathy? I said, this is what I'm doing. I said, if you're not going to do what the Bible says, at least tear it out so you can say that you're doing everything your Bible is telling you to do. Because Psalms 47 says, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Psalms 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalms 150 says, let everything with breath. Don't tell me you believe this book and the minute you're required to do something out of it, you're not going to do it. You're a phony and a fake. We are about to see a revival of restoration of people that don't care about what everybody else thinks.
I'm done. Yeah. Say transformation. Transformation. Restoration. Restoration. Now watch this. The third thing God's going to do in this church, before that conference takes place, these characteristics are about to break out. And when it breaks out in this church, it's going to break out in this town. Come on. Now, you may cancel me from the conference, and you may never have me back again, and it would truly hurt my feelings. And I'd be truly disappointed, but I would limp on for the cause of Christ. But I'm going to tell you something get ready to happen in this church. Because there was a third quality that took place in those six pots. And that third quality was elevation. You with me? When they poured that water in those pots, the first thing they, they got was transformation. Yes. So you listen to me. Before you get to elevation, you better get your transformation. And before you get to elevation, you better get your restoration. Because when the governor drank, he said, hold up. He said, the last has been raised to a different level than the beginning. He said, this wine has supernaturally elevated. Y'all with me? Watch this. If you will not worry about what the quote popular Christian base thinks about the way you have church, watch this, and you have proper elevation, you hear me right now. Whenever the last time I was in Alabama, I preached in, in uh, not in Huntsville, Alabama, I preached in, I forgot what name, Anderson, Alabama. Is that right? Aniston, Alabama. I, and I, I landed, and I, I swear on my life, I wasn't even thinking. I had an LSU hoodie on. And I was walking through, this is before I married Kendall, I was walking through the Birmingham airport. And you, you people are not so kind. I mean, like, like, it ain't just good enough that y'all beat us every year. You got to say something smart to me while I'm walking through with a loser hoodie on. And watch this, that lady, that lady was, she, there was four or five of them and there was four or five guys and they were saying something. I tell you what, those friends from Baton Rouge are the rowdiest, they're the most disrespectful, cussing, blah, 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 blah. They were doing all that. Well, you know what happened? Watch this. I wanted to lash out, you know what I mean? But then I started realizing who I was, you know, that I'm the pastor. Because the last time I got on a plane, Kendall will tell you right here, I got on a plane and there were some people on the plane with us and I said, you know, I didn't turn my phone off. And you know, the stewardess says, turn your phone off. I'm a rule breaker. If you haven't figured it out, yeah, I, I speed, I do everything. Watch this. So, so the, 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 the flight attendant came up to me and said, if you don't turn that phone off, I'm gonna take you off this plane because a guy behind me told on me. He ratted on me. You remember this, Kendall? He ratted me out. So we took off, and I turned around. I said, let me tell you something, you little wimp. 
I did. I mean, I lost my cool. I said, you know what? You ain't nothing but a little wimp. I said, here I sit in this seat, a man. You're a man, but you're going to press your little button and get the flight attendant to come over here and make me turn my phone off. Why didn't you just reach across the aisle and say, sir, I'd appreciate it if you'd turn your phone off. I said, no, you wanted the little, the little narc way out, you little rat. And his wife was sitting there, and she, had, she was looking out the window, and there was a kid, well, you know what? I got, I, I, after a little while in the flight, I started getting convicted. I mean, it still ticked me off, but I was convicted. I shouldn't have talked to him like that. I was un, it, it, was, it was a call for. So I, I, I reached back to him. He was in the other, other aisle. I reached back to him, and I put out my hand. He put out his hand, and I said, hey, man, you know what? You are not wrong. I was wrong. She said, turn your phone off. You got your family on this plane. You don't know what the rules, how it affects anything. I said, I apologize. Please forgive me. I said, I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong. He said, you were forgiven the minute you did it, Pastor Clint. Am I telling the truth, Kendall? He said, you were forgiven the minute you did it. I said, I looked at him. I was like, oh, no. He said, he said yeah, man. He said, I grew up on your music. He said, I'm a worship leader at Highland, the church at the, at, at the Highlands. And I, one of my best friends through the years, Dino Rizzo, is one of the pastors over there. And two days later, Dino said, hey, call me. What's going on? I said, nothing much. What's happening? He said, I heard you had a little encounter in the air. Man, I learned a lesson that day. But when those people were talking negative about me in this Birmingham airport, when I got on that plane, all of a sudden as I began to elevate, everything that was bigger than me began to dissipate. It got smaller the higher I got. God says transformation's coming. God says restoration's coming. And God says elevation's coming. But you listen to me because I want you to hear the last one. There's one more that's going to happen in this church because everything in that chapter means something in the now. I saw Jesus walking into Cana in a wedding and Jesus had to replace the wine that had run out and he did it with water. Watch this. The human body is more has more water. 80% moisture than anything else of anything in your body is water. And so watch what he does. He pours water into six clay pots. Six is the number of man. Clay is what man was formed out of. And so when I see John chapter 2, I see a picture of humanity. And so I see, watch, I see God taking something that is empty because he's attracted to empty stuff. The Bible says in Genesis, and the earth was without form and void. And God moved upon the face of the earth because if you're empty, he's attracted to you. But the only people he's not attracted to is the people that are full of themselves. So if you learn how to empty yourself, he'll fill you with something else. 
So I understood about the six pots because that's the number of man in clay. I understood about pouring it with water because that represents the natural. But then I understand about the transformation because he goes from water to wine and wine is a representation of blood and he wanted us to know that when he died he was man and he was God because when they pierced his side water and blood Water and blood came from his side. So he wanted us to understand he identified with us, but he transformed us. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And then I understood restoration because what Adam lost in the first garden, Jesus bought back in the second. What Adam lost under one tree, Jesus bought back on another tree. And everything Adam threw away, God gave us back. He restored everything the enemy stole from us. Are y'all here? I'm trying to finish. So I understood transformation. Old things pass away, all things become new. I understood restoration. I'll restore to you the years the locusts and the canker were stolen. I understood even the elevation because he said, now that I'm in the kingdom, I'm the head, not the tail. I'm the top, not the bottom. I'm he that is listed in the area of authority and not a follower. God said, I put all that in you. So I understood all that. But I had a problem. Because when I read the scriptures, there was one thing. Y'all all right? Just stay standing. I'm done. I promise. There was one thing. There was one thing, Mr. Rick, I could not figure out. I know why you told me the six pots. That's us. We're men. We're humanity. I know why you said fill it with water because that was the natural supply of the human body. I know why you turned it to blood because it was a transformation of my blood to his blood now. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. I understood the restoration because now I got back my relationship with God that Adam lost in the garden. I understood about elevation because now I feel like I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. But there was one thing that I could not figure out. Why did he tell us there was 30 gallons in every pot. Because if this ancient thing is relative in the now, it's got to mean something. Or all of the naysayers are right. It doesn't apply to us in 2019. So I said, God, you're going to have to tell me why you showed me that there were 30 gallons in those buckets in those pots because if you said it it means something and he told me read it again and I read it again and I still questioned him but then after about 17 times it jumped out at me the first thing Jesus did when he walked into that wedding he brought it's not a trick question y'all slow but I'll wait on you transformation the second thing he brought was restoration the third thing he brought was elevation but there's a fourth thing he said how many gallons is in that pot CB I said 30 he said right 30 60 90 120 150, 180. 
He says, I'm giving you transformation, restoration, elevation, and I'm giving you a 180, which is an alteration because it is now your turn. Are you hearing me, Solid Rock? Why didn't Jesus give us a 360? Because if he gave me a 360, the same stuff I was facing when he stepped in, I'd still be facing after he stepped in. But God said, it's your Where is my praises in Birmingham today? Push five people and say, neighbor, it's your turn. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. Listen to me carefully. Everybody's standing on your feet. Thank you, guys. Listen to me carefully. You ready? The problem with most people is we do not embrace. In fact, we question what we do not understand. Yes. And it is hypocritical to do that because very few people in here truly understand all of the, 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 the components in the atmosphere that create gravity. But we don't jump off of a 30-story building thinking we can fly or defy it. Right? So I don't know how gravity, truly all of the systems of the universe and the way the, 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 that, that it, it, it brings us back to the earth. I don't understand all of the chemical things that cause men to float through a capsule while they're in space and lose all gravity. I, I, I see it and I know it happens, but I don't understand it. But I don't question what I don't understand. I don't doubt what I don't understand. Are you here? Yes, sir. Because here's the deal. When you live your life limited to your understanding, you are going to experience little. Because nobody knows it all. Number two, don't live your life on feelings. Don't walk around and every time something goes wrong, you get your feelings hurt. You get offended. And you get to a place where it steals and robs your joy and your happiness. And you know what? Let me tell you something. Nine times out of ten, the people that offended you, they're going on laughing and joking and having a good time. And you become the prisoner of something they don't even remember. So, a lack of understanding and an overload of feelings can rob you of a reality. Here it is. Somebody look at somebody and say, it's your turn. It's your turn. Let me ask you something. Can you stand still for two seconds? Do you believe that the earth is spinning 1,000 miles per hour right now. Do you feel it? No. No. 
So it's possible for something to be turning for you and you don't feel it turning. It's possible for something to be turning and you don't know that it's turning. Because when you woke up this morning, you didn't think, my God, the earth's spinning pretty fast today. Not unless you had a fifth last night before you went to bed. But when you woke up, you didn't even think about the earth spinning a thousand miles per hour and you don't feel it, but it is. So I I leave Birmingham telling you just because you don't see God turning it and just because you don't feel God turning it doesn't mean God is not turning it. I want you to high five at least six people and tell them it's your turn.